This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. We'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15 today. If you're new today, we have been walking through the book of Romans. We have come to the, the next to last chapter of Romans. And so we're going to look today um, at Romans 15 and verses 8 through 13. Um, preaching from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Um, if you uh, need one of those, we have some available in the pews. It will be on page um, 9. 49, I believe, in that. Um, and so if you want to follow along with us, just encourage you to do that as we um, just kind of look at the text together. Romans chapter 15 and verses 8 through 13 is about how God is creating a new family. It's a worldwide family of every tribe and tongue for his praise. Romans 15, and we're going to begin with verse 8. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the author of God's word as we look at the word together. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And then Paul closes with this beautiful prayer wish for the church at Rome and for all of us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Keep your Bibles open as we walk through the word together. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we come before uh, the text now and we ask for your Holy Spirit to work through your word. We pray for deep work in our lives today work that cannot be produced by ourselves, by any human being. Only you can do it. Lord, we know that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and that it, it penetrates and reveals and exposes the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Or we know that faith comes from hearing and hearing through word of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that through your word now that you would ignite faith in anyone who does not know Jesus. We pray that you would strengthen the faith of believers. Lord, we pray that you would bring conviction or comfort 
or challenge or whatever it is. You know the needs of our hearts, Lord. And so, Father, we ask you to work right now through your precious word and show us how you are creating creating a new family and how we are a part of that family for the glory and honor of your praise. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Thursday uh, was our youngest birthday, Cassidy's uh, birthday, and it was a a great day. Um, But I was thinking on her, her birthday about the moment when Melissa and I discovered that Cassidy was coming into the world. And that was an especially memorable discovery because it was a surprising discovery. Because Melissa and I just thought, oh, you know, we've got a boy and a girl, and you know, and we just kind of thought in our own plans that that was probably going to be it for our family. But you know what? God was creating the family for us that he had planned, not the one that we had planned. And God's plans are always infinitely greater than our own plans because we couldn't even imagine life without Cassidy. What we see in this text is that God is creating a new family, a worldwide family of every tribe and tongue. God is creating a family of Jews and Gentiles together for his praise. Now listen, that was a surprise. If you lived in the first century in which Paul is, is, is writing, like you would have known that there were historic prejudices and animosities between Jews and Gentiles. And, and even last week, as we walked through chapter 14 in the beginning of chapter 15, we saw that even within the church at Rome, these two groups of people were, were trying to just kind of work out issues with with one another as they, they, they had been brought together in the same church family. But God was doing a new thing, a, a beautiful thing, and God was creating the family that he had planned, not the one that they had planned. So what we see in these verses is we see that very thing And we see the missionary heart of God. And as we move even deeper into chapter 15 next week, that's where we're going to see as well. Just God's missionary heart. His heart for Jews, his heart for Gentiles, his heart for you and me. So what do we see here in verses 8 through 13? First of all, we see God's heart for Jews. God's heart for Jews. Um, Let's look, first of all, at verse 8. So Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So the word circumcised here is just another word for Jewish people. And so Paul is saying here that Christ became a, a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people. He became a servant to them. 
Jesus says of himself in Matthew 20, 28, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul says in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. As we approach Christmas over these next few weeks, we ask the question, what was God doing in a manger? What was God doing as a little baby in a feeding trough that was used for animals? What was God doing hanging on a cross? Becoming the lowest of the low. Taking the form of a slave, of a bond servant, so that we could be saved. Let's, let's look again at what Paul says here in verse 8. For he says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Our God is a promise-keeping God. One of the most iconic images of the 20th century is this one. It's a photo that was taken on October 20th 1944, the day that American forces landed in the Philippines to liberate the people of those islands who had been enduring just years of brutality under Japanese occupation. And of course, in the center of the photo was General Douglas MacArthur with his famous Ray-Ban aviators and his field marshal's hat waiting ahead, leading the group with a determined look on his face. What the photo doesn't reveal is that Japanese snipers were within firing range of, of this party of, of men. Uh, MacArthur did not care. Uh, he uh, had been ordered to leave the Philippines by President Roosevelt almost three years before, but before leaving, had made the promise, I shall return. And about an hour after that photo was snapped, MacArthur grabbed a mic and broadcast the following to the Philippine people. People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. You know, as, as powerful as that image is, it, it pales in comparison to the day when Jesus Christ will fulfill his promise and return to liberate this entire planet from sin and death. And that moment of liberation will be culminated when Jesus returns, but it has already been inaugurated. It has already begun. And one of the signs that it has begun is that God is creating this new family. God is, 
is redeeming people and making people new from every tribe and tongue for his glory and praise. Now that promise is not something that was novel. It was not something that just kind of started with the New Testament. No, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Let's look at Genesis 12 and verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So this is God talking to Abram, later to become Abraham. And God says to him, through you, I'm going to create a new people. The world was an utter mess. But God said, in the midst of all of this mess, I am gonna create a new people for my glory that I'm going to bless and I'm gonna make them a blessing. And through this people, I'm gonna begin to restore this fallen world. So that people was the Jewish people. And God here is, is promising to Abraham that through you, I'm going to create this new people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with descendants. I'm going to bless you with, with land. So I'm going to create this new people, the Jewish people that I am going, and I'm going to bless them. But God says, I'm not going to bless them just so that my blessings can kind of terminate on them. No, I'm going to bless them to do what? Verse two, to be a blessing. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in verse three, he tells us the extent of that blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you, what? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that, that phrase, all the families, means every people group. Every group of people that's distinguished by like their own culture, by their own language. God says that through you, through the Jewish people, I'm gonna bless every people on earth. Now, ultimately, that happens how? That happens because Jesus, born into a Jewish family, the Messiah comes, and, and in the Messiah, people from every tribe and tongue are going to be called out to know him and to one day praise him around the throne. That's where Paul is headed in this text. So you see here, God's heart for Jews. Second, God's heart for Gentiles. Verses eight and, and nine again. <clears throat> Let's look at these two verses together. He says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, 
Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, do you see how all of this is coming together? The Messiah first comes to his own people, the Jewish people. But from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the, we see that the plan is that he's going to bless the entire world. Every tribe and tongue. Revelation 5 and verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So who is going to be praising Jesus one day in a new heaven and earth? People from every tribe and tongue, Jews and Gentiles together. Every people group is going to be ransomed, for, has been ransomed by the blood of Jesus. And every people group is going to be represented that day among the throne. God is going to call forth people from every tribe and tongue for his praise. Because what are, what are these people doing? They're worshiping Jesus around the throne. John Piper in his classic book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says missions exist because worship doesn't. Why do we, why do we give and go and pray for missions so that every tribe, people from every tribe and tongue have the opportunity to hear about Jesus why do we do that? Well, yeah, we do it out of love and compassion for people to be sure. But our ultimate motivation is the glory of God. We want Jesus to receive the praise that is due him from every tribe and tongue. From the mountains to the valleys, here our praises rise to you. From the heavens to the nations, here our singing, fill the earth. Verse 10, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now, Paul is quoting here from Deuteronomy 32, because again, the point that he wants to make is that this creation of this new family of Jews and Gentiles, it is not something novel. It's not something new. It's something that goes all the way back to the Pentateuch. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Again, he's quoting from the Old Testament, this time from Psalm 117, again, showing that it, this has always been God's heart, not for just to bless one people and for one people to, to praise him, but for all peoples to know him and to give him joyful praise. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles 
hope. So this is a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus. Jesus is the root of Jesse, right? Jesse's son is David and Jesus comes as the Davidic king from the line of David as the promised Davidic Messiah of Israel. But not only Israel, he also comes as the hope of Gentiles. So we see here God's heart for Jews, God's heart for Gentiles, and God's heart for you. God's heart for you. Um, Paul closes this section which began at the beginning of chapter 14 where he's talking about the unity of the church. And he, and he closes this section in Romans 15, 13 with this beautiful benediction, this beautiful prayer wish for the church at Rome and, and for you and me. And it says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now think about the context of this. As we talked about last week, you know, there were these two groups of people in the church at Rome. Paul calls them the, the weak and the, the strong. And you know, they had been bickering with one another. And, and you know, he closes out with this incredible prayer. And he says, you've been bickering when you should be rejoicing. And your heart should be surging with hope. And hope is the word that really ties us together, right? We see it twice here in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So when we think about, the, about hope, we think about the future, right? What is the future that the church at Rome had to look forward to? What is the future that we have to look forward to as believers? We look forward to the time when, as we saw in chapter 11, when the fullness of Jews and Gentiles has come in, and when the Lord Jesus returns, and he, we experience the glory of a renewed creation, of a, of a new heaven and earth which, which believers from every tribe and tongue will inherit together. And that is our future. And we look forward to that future in faith. Right? Look at the text again. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing the NIV, NIV translates it this way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. New Testament scholar uh, Michael Bird says this about that verse. He says the sign that hope in faith has taken root is the effusion of joy and peace that bubbles up in the believer by the Holy Spirit. So listen, do you want joy and peace to grow within you? 
then grow in faith. Grow in your ability to trust the Lord moment by moment, whatever the circumstances. Because when you believe that he's got you, that your present and the future are covered, when you believe that you are purchased by his blood, as we sang earlier, that you belong to him, that your sins, past, present, and future are under the blood of Christ. When you believe, as we've been talking about in Romans, that the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been credited to your account and that you are now standing in the grace of God, when you believe that he is now for, is for you and not against you, that you are forgiven and free, when you believe that he has adopted you as his own precious son or daughter, and that he's watching over you as a perfect father and that he loves you with a perfect father's love, when you believe that he's got you and he's got your back and he's got every circumstance in your life, he's got your present, he's got your future, it's taken care of. Listen, when you believe those promises, that is when joy and peace can surge in your heart. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing, in trusting in him as you trust him. That joy and peace wells up in your heart. Earlier this year, uh, there was an article by David Scheimer in the New York Times, and it was about the most popular course in the history of, of Yale. The title of the article was, Yale's Most Popular Class Ever, Happiness. And the article went on to talk about this course, which was the most in-demand course in the history of Yale. Over a fourth of the student body had, had tried to get into it. The technical term for the course was, it was a psychology course. It was Psych 157, Psychology and the Good Life. The professor of the course, Laurie Santos, said that it was all about, quote, that she, she, quote, tries to teach students how to lead a happier, more satisfying life. It's no wonder that this course was so popular. In 2013, the Yale Student Council found that over half of the undergraduate student body, over 50% sought mental health care from the university during their time there as undergraduates. I want you to think about this. These kids are coming, they're the best and the brightest. Some of the best students in the country. Most of them are coming from privileged 
backgrounds. They're headed into futures that are going to be filled with uh, with with wealth and and with and with prestige. Futures that are going to be they're filled with all the things that our culture believes produce happiness. But they're desperate (laughs) to sign up for a course which is supposed to tell them how to have happiness. Because see, it, it turns out that our intuitions about what produces joy and peace are all wrong. All wrong. What produces joy and peace that bubbles up, that wells up in our lives is trusting. Trusting in Jesus. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we, we turn from all of the empty sources, all the empty things, all the mirages that we think will produce inner joy and peace, and they all come up empty. Lord, we know it's only found in you. Lord, help us to turn from just the, uh, the tr- trying to, to drink from fountains which produce no water. Help us to turn from the, the empty, broken cisterns of this world and turn to the only one who can satisfy our souls, even Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer.
find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.